Hello, this is Dennis Thomas with Things That Matter, where we speak about everything from faith to finance and all things in between. So the topic of my conversation today is the problem of evil. And when we think about the problem of evil, this is a problem that exists for all of us, young or old, rich or poor, believer or non-believer. And when I say believer or non-believer, I'm talking about either people that believe in God, the believer, or those that do not, the unbeliever. It's a problem that we're all familiar with. And this involves pain, suffering, all the dangers of this world. But the question I have for you guys today is how does the problem of evil fit into God's plan for us? We know that the God we serve is all good, all powerful, all wise. He has a plan. He has a purpose. But how does the problem of evil fit into that plan and that purpose? You see, the Bible explains to us a complete story. It lets us know and explains how things came to be. We know that we live in a fallen world. We know that the world is broken. We have death, rape, violence, jealousy, divorce, abuse. The list goes on and on. Now, one of the things about our story here is that it explains to us that things were once perfect. We know in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 131, God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. It lets us know that there was a time where only good existed without evil, which also helps us understand that God didn't create evil. Evil is not a created thing. It's basically falling short of God's goodness and his perfect moral standard of goodness. It's something that's missing. It's a deficiency. It's a lack. It's not something that he created. It's just something that shows you a falling off of what that standard should be for goodness. So it lets us know that things were once perfect. It also lets us know how evil got here. See, in our story here, God peels back the curtains and allows us to see in the invisible realm, because Satan is not someone that we could see. But in the invisible realm, you have people that are working behind the scenes. The devil comes in, Genesis 3, as a serpent. He's already a murderer, already a liar, already a deceiver. At this point, Satan was kicked out of heaven for his pride and his greed. And now he's trying to deceive those on earth. He probably looked at Adam and Eve as some strange creatures. Different than him because he was an angel. But creatures that could procreate themselves. Where if he could contaminate them, he could continue to contaminate groups and groups and groups of people. To the point where he reaches us. So it lets us know how evil got here. The Satan comes in. The serpent He asked Eve, did God say not to eat of every tree? And she said, yes, except for that tree over there. He told us not to eat of that tree. And that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if we did eat of that tree, we would surely die. And Satan says, no, no, no. He didn't really mean that. You won't surely die. He just doesn't want you to see what he sees. He doesn't want you to know what he knows. He doesn't want you to know about good and evil. But boy, do we know about good and evil this day and age. I think what God was trying to do was trying to protect us and shield us. And Satan wanted us to deal with the same fate that he's going to be dealing with in his future. Because after that moment, God comes and says to Satan, the woman's offspring will crush your head. His fate was already sealed at that point. His fate was sealed once he was kicked out of heaven. So it lets us know how evil got here. But the other great thing about this story is that it lets us know how things are going to be fixed how things are going to be repaired. 
the whole book, the whole story is about how God deals with this problem of evil. This battle that's waged between God and Satan is the battle that's waged over us. We are the prime targets. God wants to give us life. Satan wants to steal, deceive. He wants to give us death. It's a total opposite. We need to be prepared for that. Statistics show Gallup did a poll back in 2016, and it shows that 21% of people don't even believe the devil exists. If you think about Protestants and Catholics, the percentages range anywhere from 12 to 13%. They do not believe that Satan exists. They're fighting an enemy that they believe does not exist at all. Isn't that a very scary thing for us to think about? Our adversary, our challenger, our competitor, we think is non-existent. I want to answer a few questions here. One of the people that we're going to speak about in this story, in this presentation, is about Satan. He's a key player in this story, in this problem of evil. There's a few questions that we want to answer here. Who is he? Where did he come from? Why is he here? And what is his outcome? I think how we fight against this enemy is largely determined on how we view this enemy. We need to know that this is someone that is real, someone that is an adversary, a competitor, a challenger, and someone that wants to bring us down. He came in the story quite early. He's mentioned in the Bible several times, over 50 times. And not only that, we see someone that even tried to tempt Jesus Christ. Someone that had a very high role in heaven probably guarded the throne of God when he was an angel before he fell. He has power. He has the ability to do things. We need to be aware. John 8.44 speaks to us and lets us know there's certain names that have been given for Satan for us to see a clear description of what he is. In John 8.44, is called the murderer. He's the father of lies. He invented lies. The first lie that was ever told was by him. Any other lies that we tell stem from this point. He uses this tactic to this day. When we think about this, there are plenty of thoughts that are out in our culture today. One of the big ones is that your good works will get you into heaven. But when I think about this, I think about first Psalms. The book of Psalms, I should say, sorry. I knit you in your mother's womb which shows us here that God chose us before the foundation of the earth. He knit us in our mother's womb. He chose us. We didn't choose Him. Your good works will never get you into heaven. The Jewish laws have over 600 laws. In order for us to follow those laws, it requires perfection. That's what it takes in the society that we live in. We have a lot of laws and rules, and it requires perfection. Sometimes we get away with it because people don't catch us doing something wrong. But you could be perfect your whole life, and one time you mess up, you will get punished. That is the way that it works. It's either perfect justice or perfect mercy. Perfect justice is you pay for the crimes that you commit. Perfect mercy is someone shows compassion on you 
and does not make you pay for that crime. And that's why Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Other lies that are told, the Bible can't be trusted, God doesn't exist. And we know there's many powerful arguments to show that the Bible can be trusted. We have more original manuscripts than any other book in all of antiquity. That God does exist. When we think about objective moral law, the beauty and art of the universe, the arguments go on and on. And this is something that we spoke about during our last conversation. Matthew 13, 19 is called the wicked one. He has the ability to snatch away what was sown. If someone doesn't understand the word, the devil comes and snatches away what was sown. John 12, 31 is called the rule of this world. Keep in mind, he doesn't rule the world completely. God is still sovereign. Believers are no longer under the rule of Satan. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the powers of darkness, and that he would be God. Where did he come from? Ezekiel 28.12-16 Please read this. Biblical interpreters think that this is a dual prophecy speaking about the human king of Tyre as well as Satan. We see here that the king of Tyre was known to be prideful, was known to be greedy, following the same characteristics as Satan. But we see here in this story that they're explaining about someone that was beautiful, someone that had many stones surrounded by them. They were explaining characteristics of this person. This is a person that God created to be just like us, beautiful creatures, guarding the throne of God. But here this person is, because they had pride in their heart, this pride led them to want to steal from God and take all the powers that God gave for good and try to change try to coerce, try to use it for evil, use it for for bad, use it for wrong. And we see here in Ezekiel 28, 12-16, that he was created by God. We don't know how long he was in heaven playing that role as a guardian angel, but we do know that he was in heaven for a period of time before he fell. Could have been weeks, could have been Years, could have been months, we don't know. But he was in there with God in heaven. Once he gets kicked out of heaven, Revelation says he took a third of the angels with him. That means that if there's spirits that are working in the background for our good, the angels that God has, there's also spirits of darkness that are working behind the scenes. Satan right now is the leader of those spirits of darkness. And they're working behind the scenes. First Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, for your devil, the adversary, is walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. Him and his cronies are looking to devour us. But they were not created that way. Jude 1.6 said, The angels who did not keep their proper domain, but have left their own abode, So we see here that him and a few angels left their own abode. They did not keep their proper domain. They did not keep the role that they had in heaven, worshiping God. 
Isaiah 14, 12 to 13 says, Lucifer has fallen from heaven. You have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. We see here, Lucifer was in heaven. That's Satan. He has fell from heaven. And now he's walking around to and fro on earth, seeking who he can devour. Why is he here? One of the weapons that he uses was his accusation before God that we are all guilty and should perish with him. He wants us to share his fate. Romans 6.23 says we are all guilty of sin and the wages of sin are death. We know that sin came into this world through one man, which is Adam. And through one man, sin. And through sin, death. So if you wanted to pay off your mortgage, right, the wage and the payment and the fee for that would be to, to give money. If you wanted to pay off death, sorry, if you wanted to pay off sin, the wage and payment that you would have to give would be death. Sin requires death. But see here, we're all guilty. It says, Romans 6.13 says, 6.23 says, the wages of sin are death. But we know that we are all guilty. We all fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says we're guilty in three ways. Inherited sin. This is sin passed on to us by Adam. We inherit physical characteristics from our parents. One of the characteristics that we inherited from Adam was his sin nature. We also have imputed sin. Imputed means taking something that belongs to someone else and crediting it, crediting it to another one's account. When Adam voted for sin, he acted as our representative. His sin was imputed or accredited to the entire human race. But God imputed the sins of believers to the account of Jesus. Jesus Christ comes, walks on this earth, dies on the cross. For what? Our sins. What are our sins? Those are the bad things we do. He dies, he raises again on the third day. He eventually ascends into heaven. What does he leave behind? The Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit live? It lives within us. So that God, when he sees you, he really sees himself. He takes the credit for what we were supposed to die for. And then the third thing is personal sin that's committed every day by every human being. From innocent untruths to murder. What is his outcome? They spoke about this several times. In Genesis, when he tried to deceive Adam and Eve and achieve that, God said that the woman's offspring will crush your head. And that's exactly what happens in Revelation 20.10. The devil will be thrown into the lake of fire. So first he's defeated at the cross. He's bound for a thousand years. And then eventually he's thrown into the lake of fire. He will be thrown there and stay there forever. He will no longer be a part of this world system. John 12, 31 says the ruler of this world is cast out. We know at that point in John, he's talking about when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Jesus Christ dies for sin. He dies to defeat Satan at that point. When he raises again, he defeats the last enemy, which is death. Which means, in the end, you and I, if we are believers, never die. Because he defeated death. Holy Spirit lives within us when he ascends to heaven. That means that we have a piece of God in us. We know in Genesis, God said we were made in his image. So we are already special creatures. We're already valuable. This is Satan's outcome. In the end, guys, I think that the reason why we have the problem of evil is because... This pain represents an opportunity for victory. It provides an opportunity for heroism. It gets our attention. 
Instead of God using raw power, I think he's more thoughtful. He wants to win people over, win our hearts in a way that is more powerful than any other option we can think of, and prove himself worthy through dying. He's not trying to win this fight through power and might, but through righteousness and justice, so that we can live in a place where people will not age, nothing will be lost, all work will be productive and enduring. We will live in a place where there will be no more death, no more pain, no more crying. We will see the face of God. You could eat of any tree. You don't have to sweat for every piece of wealth or piece of security that you get. In this world, it requires a lot of effort. That's how people become successful. In that world that we will go to, there will be no more effort for success. You see, C.S. Lewis has a wonderful quote. It says that God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pains. What this means, guys, is that when we are doing something that's against God, but we enjoy we only hear his whisper. It's not that loud, right? I'm trying to quell that voice. When we do something that we shouldn't be doing, he speaks to us. We can hear the voice kind of clear. And when we're dealing with pain, he shouts to us. Pain is an opportunity for us to have victory. Thank you, guys. Enjoy.